This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. Hello folks and welcome to episode number 60 of the How You Going Mate podcast. Adam is my name. I am the uh, writer, producer, creator and uh, general all-around man about town of the podcast. Um, Now this podcast is designed to start conversations about mental health and well-being but more importantly to examine ways that we can manage and support our mental health and well-being and that is the idea. So if you're listening to this and uh, as the warning says, if something comes up for you, please seek uh, professional help and support. But if you're listening to this, hopefully what you're hearing are some tools and strategies that you could implement in your life to manage your mental health and well-being. Uh, my guest this week, um, as we said, we wanted to get people onto the podcast that had a level of expertise, and it doesn't get much more expertise than a doctor. Um, I don't think expertise is a word. I may have just made that one up. Uh, but my guest this week, uh, this fortnight, is uh, a colleague of mine, a person that I've known for about 16 years, and I, we used to work together. And uh, she was actually heavily involved in setting up the part of the organisation that I work for now. Uh, and, and the job that I do now was a job that she did originally. So, um, uh, you know, there's a sort of few connections there. And, of course, we sat next to each other when I first started. We used to sit right next to each other. Uh, but, of course, she's gone on to fantastic things. Uh, including um, uh, earning her PhD studying uh, older people, uh, mental health and suicide. No, that's not the official title, but um, that's basically what she does. Her name is Dr. Kylie Cernek George, and I, I love calling her Dr. Kylie. It feels very weird, but it kind of feels cool at the same time. Um, and kindly, she agreed to come and talk to me for about an, an hour or so about um, older people and mental health and suicide and some of the ways uh, that we can... Um, if we are, if you are older, some of the ways that you can start preparing for not necessarily end of life, but uh, I guess those twilight years, uh, the final stages of your life where you might be, um, you know, moving from working life into retirement, or the kids may have grown up and moved away, and and she calls it, uh, and I really like the term, she calls it transitions that may cause distress. Um, so those transitional periods in your life where your identity changes significantly. Uh, so for those of you that are uh, in that stage of life, and certainly there, I hope there's a lot of information in here for you, and for those of you that are perhaps have got parents um, or people that are around you that you know that may be moving to that stage of life, there's certainly uh, plenty of information in there for you as well. Really, really important to kind of have a conversation and to recognise that one of the, one of the uh, most significant groups in terms of suicide uh, people who are 80 plus and um, and and it's not widely known or advertised but certainly something worth exploring so please um, this is a fantastic episode it's a great chat Kylie's one of my favorite people on the planet she's really cool to talk to we've got very similar senses of humor and uh, I, I really encourage you to have a, a good listen to this one so without further ado let's just ask Kylie the question Dr. Kylie how you going mate? <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm well, thank you, Mr. Holstein. How are you? I just really wanted to call you Dr. Kylie because I, I, I suspect it doesn't happen often enough. Um, and and I, I figure you've done all this hard work to call yourself a doctor. You, what we've got to use that use that title. I'm happy for you to use a title. That's okay. That's okay. It's only new still, so I only got it in September last year. So uh, I'm happy to use it. It's good. It is. Do you get it? Ch- is hard. Do you get to change your license? Like, is it is it now doctor? Or you know, do your do your phone bill say doctor Kylie? Well, there's a, there's a, some things have changed. Yes, um, I wanted to go to the bank and change it, but they said I needed to take the degree with me to the bank, and I thought that was a little embarrassing. <laughs> So I didn't. I got a vision of you turning up in like the full gown and the, the hat. And, I know. You know. I know. Maybe no, some music too... playing in the background. Mm, no, it's too much. So, I mean, I, perhaps on the day I graduated, I might have been motivated to do that, but perhaps not. <laughs> what did you do for graduation day? I drove around everywhere where I needed to prove my identity and I went, hey, I'm going to look at me, doctor. Well, I've got the gown to prove it. Look at me. I'm, I'm Absolutely, yes. Mm. So, um, for the benefit of the people that hopefully are listening to this, one of the, the our area that we're kind of going to focus on today is, and I'm going to get try and get the terminology right, uh, people who are aging. Is that that's how we're, we're referring to it now? I learnt this from you the other day. People who yes. are aging and mental health and and your particular speciality and your, which is yeah. So when I was looking at subjects um, for or things to, to investigate before I started my PhD, I did notice whilst I was doing a master's project around, there were a lot of articles around suicide in older males mm-hmm. and particularly in Australia, particularly in rural areas, but that's not just noted, it's just not um Particular to Australia, it is quite common in rural, Western rural countries across the world. So we, uh, I decided that I would have a look at what was happening for our older males. And then I found out, um, unfortunately, that the rate at which older males take their lives is double the national average. And particularly men over 80 years of age in rural and remote Australia. Mm. Wow. So I just thought, well, you know, Kylie, would you like to have a look at what's going on there? So that's when I embarked on starting the research project to have a look at that. Then we discovered that women actually in general, not necessarily older women this statistic relates to, but women in general actually attempt to take their life more than men do. So they're just not... um, they're not they're, they're not actually that successful in taking their life as yeah. often so yeah, yeah. I, so I, I studied both cohorts i guess is the point okay so you you didn't ex- necessarily exclusively look at older men i mean that was the focus but you also went okay let's see what the women what the numbers look like for women as well yes yeah yeah, yeah. so i looked at both so i did have predominantly males in my study but there were a few females Yeah, so it was probably about a 20%, 80% split just because of the research participants that wanted to talk to me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, isn't it interesting, um, you know, we sort of sit there and we go, um, you know, men don't want to talk, but often when we do these kind of things where we're studying this or we're talking to people about this, you'll find that men are actually really, really willing to talk. And I I sometimes almost think that's like, uh, okay, maybe they feel safe because it's a... 
you know, a study or maybe they feel safe because you've disclosed, I don't know what the rationale is at all, but, you know, it's interesting to me that, that men are often, we, we look at them as not willing to talk, but when we do these kind of conversations, they're really willing to talk to you about it. Yeah, they may also not be have been given an opportunity to talk either. Yeah, yeah. And when they're given the opportunity, they're um, really quite happy to do it. And they've always got somebody else that they know who might want to talk as well. And then you get what you call a snowball effect in recruitment strategies. And mm. then they send their friend along and then they're usually always males. So, mm. um, but yeah, the women I found were very busy doing a lot of caring responsibilities they had a lot of caring responsibilities all were working mm-hmm. so there were those sort of complexities around that as well and um it just seemed that the the cohort that i interviewed most of them had retired so it was around what they were doing and generally speaking the women were much busier doing activities than the men were so they were mm-hmm. happy to to chat you know an hour or two here an hour or two there so it was good yeah. and you know part of my ignorance um you, you you've experienced it before um, but when you go into a, a, a doctoral thesis i mean do you go in with an idea in mind do you go in with a, what was the question you were looking to answer were there a number of questions or was it just i can't imagine it's like oh let's just see have a look at this and see what it looks like yeah when you start thinking <clears throat> ideas around what you actually want to study you you very quickly get told you need to study something that's not out there (laughs) so every phd student starts with a literature analysis of their hypothesis for example what they think is possibly going to be their study not what they think is going to be the answer because that's not very good research, uh, and I learned that because I kept on thinking I knew what the answers were going to be, mm. and my supervisor would always say, "Kylie, Kylie, you can't. You, you've got research bias. Don't think like that." And I'm like, mm. "Okay, all right." So, yeah. So you you sort of start out with a thought, and my thought was, "What is happening with these?" in the initial stages, what's happening with these older men? And then I did back backtrack thinking that it was possibly related to retirement and what had happened to them Mm. in retirement. And when we look at the demographics of these gentlemen, if they're over 80, probably retired around 60, 65, perhaps. Um, And then may also have been single and living alone and therefore socially isolated, possibly leading to depression, moving or anxiety and then depression and then possible suicidal behaviors so Mm. yeah then then i just started to look at how we can investigate what's happening there what are the risks and protective factors for these people yeah so we did start to then look at people over 45 because we wanted to include the aboriginal and torres strait islander cohorts as well Mm -hmm. knowing that a lot of people who are indigenous are also retiring at an earlier age because of health concerns so the study actually was looking at people 45 years and older and what their retirement what their retirement pathways actually looked like and then what was happening uh, with or without suicidal behavior Mm. yeah well i mean the 45 plus is my category obviously um not um aboriginal or torres strait islander but um yeah it's having a conversation with barb just before we talked and i sort of said you know um you know the next sort of 10 years of my life are probably pretty crucial in the sense of you know after that i'm going to need to start thinking about 
retirement and things like that. I mean, I'm <laughs> mid fifties, but I, I suspect that's probably something I need to have on the on the on the plan. <laughs> Uh, I suspect by the end of this interview, you will probably start planning your retirement tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying I need to take my super more seriously? I'm just going to write this down. Super. Yes. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you because part of the study was I actually asked my participants, do they have any advice for younger people? And they have a lot of advice. So uh, it would be their words that I can <clears throat> I can impart on you as well. And you'll be probably talking to a financial planner tomorrow or next week. <laughs> <laughs> as I should be too, and I will, I will follow my own advice. Yes, I will. No, no. Look, mechanics always drive shitty cars. They never fix their own cars properly. And I suspect people that study older people and retirement and mental health, I reckon we probably won't do it either. <laughs> oh, I hope I will. I'm aiming to. Let's try for the gold standard. Ah, there's an Olympics reference that can um, that'll that'll time Ooh. time stamp our interview, won't it? How topical. How topical. <laughs> I know. It's better than talking about COVID. I'm sure we'll bring that up too. Oh, look, and, and, and yeah, I, look, I imagine that's a factor. And I mean, I, I we sort of had this conversation, and we were. I, Again, went away and talked to Bob about a, a couple of people that of people that we know. Um, you know, I certainly, and my mum listens to this, but I certainly know my mum retired recently. Um, she never, I guess, had thought about retirement, and and for her, it's actually been a pretty good transition. She was quite happy to do that. But I, oh. I know a gentleman who's um, in his in his eighties. Um, he's and we spoke about this the other day when we spoke. His his wife um, of sixty years passed away a couple of years ago. And I and I feel like he and I mean he's um, not living in a remote rural community. He's um uh, you know and has reasonably good supports around him. But I, I feel like he kind of is that person, and and he's that you know he's probably the candidate that we're kind of looking at. He's been retired for a while. He's then had this significant change in his situation where his wife's passed away. And and I know for a fact, and I, I probably won't go too much into it, I don't think anyone he knows listens to him and I'm not identifying him necessarily, but I know he's using some pretty unhealthy um, uh, sort of coping strategies. Is that was that the kind of guy, or were you shocked at the kind of people you were finding in terms of the variety, like was there a real variety or was there a sort of real commonality between those people? Well, the, what there are are significant transition points in a person's life, and I'd probably like to. It was. It's been remiss of me not to have acknowledged the traditional owners of our land, yep. and I sit on um, the Darug people's land, and I would like to acknowledge all of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have um, been come before us and yep. who are still with us today. So. Mm. I do that first. I apologise for not doing that in the beginning, but um, I, I too sit I on Darug land as well. Oh, you do? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. And all the listeners, um, if yeah, whatever whatever lands they are also on as well to yeah. send respects out there as well. But I also want to say that I think that um, yes, I am a suicide researcher, and I take my research extremely seriously. And I do think that every suicide is a tragedy, and. Mm. And what we can uncover, as I say, also is just but a drop in the ocean, but we are better for each and every drop of research that goes towards looking into that abyss and that the reason why a person is experiencing such extreme levels of distress that they make that decision to take their life. And that's where my drive comes from. So just making that statement is probably a good thing to, to start with. But yeah. 
when we think about um, the people that I interviewed and the other research that I've done in the last number of years and, and my current research that I'm doing at the moment is there are transitions in people's lives that we know cause people distress. So, you know, people say, oh, you know, heightened levels of distress or when you sell a house or mm-hmm. when a loved one dies and when or you know you've lost a job so there's a few others but um when we look at people who have been made redundant and that's also part of the reason we started at 45 as well a lot of people lose their job at that sort of middle age group and um and are unable to actually secure permanent roles um after the average they say is three years to actually find a job and i don't necessarily think that is a rule of thumb but that is one statistic that's out there and that can cause obviously extreme levels of physical and psychological distress also other transition points are when a person has a a loved one die and or um, they're living in isolation as well and or they move like they've perhaps moved into a care facility residential age care facility away from their families and those types of things so transitions uh, the other transitions of physical illness things like that so when we look at key cohorts key groups of people that um i interviewed in the study there were people who had been made redundant um and interestingly, all of the women I interviewed in the study had been made redundant. And it is appearing, it did appear in the data, and I'm not making any accusations here, Adam, but it did appear in the data that companies were using redundancy of old workers as a way to um, clear clear their decks, for example, and make way for younger people. And this is from the words of the participants, that's how they felt, that they were then no longer valued as workers and they had to take a redundancy because, oh, you're nearly close to retirement anyway, you'll be fine. Mm, And that mm. was sort of pretty common. But when we look at um, older men, there are some pretty significant um, areas there as well with isolation, loss of a loved one, physical deterioration so deterioration of of you know hearing or vision loss those types of things and then um a lot of people males and females um have undiagnosed depression so perhaps they're not being forthcoming with their doctors about how they're feeling any experiences there's levels of sadness or they have a low level of health literacy and they're not actually aware of what's going on with them either which is a very important Mm aspect of um we have all have we all could have more understanding of our own levels of deterioration and what is good mental health and what is what does it feel like to perhaps not be as in control and what can i do about that so yeah that sort of becomes um something extremely important and there was a research project done a number of years ago and there was a question that I often ask my students that I teach, and I say, who do you think is the person that is most likely to not to have quite low levels of health literacy in a, groups of Australians, mm. young people, middle-aged people, older people, older adults? Who do you think would be people, you know, where do you think they would be coming from? And everybody always says, oh, I think it's people from a non-English speaking background. They can't read brochures. Yeah. Uh, so actually, the study actually said it was men who had English as their first language and were over 70. 
that they had the lowest level of health literacy of all. Yeah, I, I've said that a few times with, um, you know, I think we've all had a, a, a grandparent or an uncle or an older uncle or somebody like that in our family who we've just gone, oh, that's Uncle Billy's just a cranky old shit. And and that's mm. and we mistake we've never seen him not be that, so we mistake mm. that that mental health condition that he probably has for just his personality. <laughs> you know, that's mm. that's just who he is, and perhaps mm. Bill even thinks that I'm just a cranky old shit. Yeah, and depression is not a normal part of aging. No, whereas a lot of people do think it is, and. There's some very strong, you know, other researchers that are a lot more experienced than I am that have been spending a lot of time looking at what happens with older adults and, you know, people that are younger as well, 40 years and over, and having a look at what's happening with people and the deterioration and their psychological well-being. So, yeah, there's... um. There's a, there is research out there having a look at that, but mm. there's a lot of lack of health literacy as well in the general public, which is what, you know, you look at things like Black Dog Institute, mm. Beyond Blue, Lifeline, they do an amazing job of suicide prevention programs, mental health awareness. So, mm. yeah, they're, uh, you know, and is that the pu- people is, that Is it purely experts. a generational thing? Like, is it is it that we weren't having these conversations even, even 15, 20 years ago? Is it that these men were brought up, you know, be tar- I, I was talking to a, a fella on the weekend who works in a, you know, fairly hypermasculine kind of world, and um, he was talking about having a cancer diagnosis and and um, how his mental health was affected because of that. And he goes, I copped it on both fronts because I, people thought I was kind of bunging on the cancer diagnosis, and then people didn't believe the the mental health sort of aspect of it as well. And and I he sort of said, you know, I really struggled, and and it was only when a senior person in his workplace also was diagnosed with cancer, then the, the attitude started to shift. But, you know, maybe I'm, I'm curious, is it, is it purely a generational thing? Is it just that there's this, as you say, this cohort of men who are in that 50, 60? Because I, I certainly know that older men that I know dismiss mental health. Oh, you know, they, you know they're, just, they're just sooks or, you know, it's just another case of the family blues kind of thing. You know, mm, is it mm. was that was that something you saw in the data, or was that not something you necessarily looked at? I, I did look at that. We, well, I looked more because it was rural Australia that mm. my focus was, and that was more around stoicism, mm-hmm. being males, um, thinking about being the breadwinner, being um, having a lot of responsibility, and also too though if they'd had. Um, a wife who wasn't necessarily in the workforce, who was also, but was working on the farm with mm. the husband. Mm. Um, and I also, and I noticed that, um, that there was still that like, well, he doesn't listen to anybody because that's the way he's always done it. So he's not going to change mm. the way he runs the farm. Even if there was an extreme one, one in a hundred year drought, which is where, when my research was being gathered, mm. <laughs> uh, we experienced the worst drought ever recorded in Australian history. But, we think about um, what's happening for people and and that male versus female stoicism, and mm. I think it is generational, but it has been passed on to sons. And mm. I think that it's certainly getting better. We also are competing against the stigma of mental illness, but the suicide prevention programs and things like Are You Okay Day, Lifeline, you know, they're certainly it's coming becoming a lot more common in the vernacular and the community so yeah. 
I, I think that let's hope that in 30 or 40 years time, it just becomes part of what we're working with. It's, I, I sort of liken it to when I was working with people with disabilities in the late 80s, early 90s, and there was a, a groundswell of equality and inclusion going on there, which now we, everybody just, hopefully, I know that there's still a long way to go, but it's certainly a lot more inclusive um, in, in general uh, for people living with disability now than it was in the 80s and 90s. And, mm. and I'm thinking that perhaps mental illness a little bit behind that groundswell, but I'm hoping that it will catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we all have faith that it will catch up and I think it's certainly escalating. We also have online versions of things. The internet has certainly helped with health promotion programs as well. Yeah, I, I went to a, um, a rural mental health symposium. Um, I want to say it was about this time last year. might have been a little bit earlier, but it was an online three-day thing, which in itself was a absolute punish it's really tough to sit and zoom call up mm. the zoom call for three days um but that that was very much and and there was this real sense that this was pretty groundbreaking stuff because as you say you know we're changing how people talk about mental health we're, we're introducing people to talking about mental health but we're train, changing how they talk about it and we're taking these communities as you say there where that stoicism you know the guy that just gets up at six works his ass off for 12 hours goes to bed you know doesn't complain doesn't have a day off doesn't you know call in sick ever you know we're changing that attitude where we're saying to that guy it's okay to acknowledge that you you're not doing it so great it's okay to acknowledge that your mental health's poor it's okay to acknowledge that you're struggling and and providing men opportunities to you know talk about that connect with other men um i know there's some great programs going on there's one i can't remember the name of it down in um in the southern in the riverina region um and i remember it because it's around where my dad lives and i remember <laughs> calling that my my dad was my dad would be the guy to jump on and support this rather than need it necessarily but i was like dad here's something you need to get involved with here's another project mm. for you to take on board um <laughs> and it's it's fabulous i think it's great and i, I agree with you i think you know, maybe one to two generations time we'll see uh, you know some significant changes in how people talk about that mm. oh look i think the gps and and you know practice nurses and mental health professionals now are are doing an amazing job mm. but they also need to the person to acknowledge that they need support before there becomes uh, an onset of psychosis and then they're admitted to a facility and you know mm. let's do more prevention than cure and that's happening mm. um but yeah it's uh, it's hard it, it is hard for people and to to make a change and to even if you're talking about it 70 year old there are we're having the baby boomers that are all retiring the largest amount of retirees ever in australian history and yeah a lot of baby day. boomers are are pardon you mentioned that the other day i was shocked at that number yeah yeah that, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's big and and but a lot of baby boomers are are forward um forward thinkers and they're asking for help and they're mm -hmm. they they've, they've you know they're very active on social media and, mm -hmm. and you know there's it's quite a um another groundswell happening with that and they're mobile they're you know proactive but there are people that aren't like that as well mm -hmm. so 
what we try to do as you know researchers and 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 try to make sure and uh, and sort of understand and or evaluate what's happening for people and why they may or may not be asking for help and mm. how to encourage them to do that and i think that everybody whether you're a health professional or not can do that can just say you know let's go and have a chat to the doctor i've noticed that you're you know you're not eating you've lost your appetite or you're not sleeping or you know you seem to be extremely having in, in extreme stress or, or financial distress and let's go and talk to a financial planner or you know i think it's really important for us to keep an eye out as gatekeepers and I think if everybody can sort of aspire to be a gatekeeper in their community that's mm. the only way really that we can look at moving forward on this yeah and that's um and I mean that's kind of right in line with what we talk about you know it, it mm. is you know and I, you've sort of preempted a question I'd actually sort of written it down um which was you know well what are we looking for you know and mm. you know you sort of just outline that you know, and and then having these conversations with these, you know, with these people who are not wanting to have those conversations, maybe, you know, not, mm. not, not, never had the conversation. You know, you talked about um, health literacy, you know, even just um, emotional literacy. You know, even the ability to 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 sort of go. I can't remember what the term is, but there's there's actually a, a term for not being able to actually label your emotions, um, mm. and mm. and not even being able to understand that. What I mean. You know that is it. Is it go and visit the GP? Is it go and visit the financial planner? Is it deal with it? Whatever's facing you. How do we? How do we actually encourage? You know these these men to talk. How do we get them out there? Well, one thing we can do. We know um, places like the men's sheds. Like mm -hmm. they're just gold i just think they're one of the best things ever created in the history of men yep. and there are also women's sheds as well and i think that if we can get what we've got happening in the community is say for example men that go to an rsl club mm. um or leagues club they're they're going they're active they're there they're going you know, what we need to do is and this is happening as well is encourage those people that are attending those places to go do you know anyone else like who's not coming? Mm. Could you could you perhaps you know ask that person to 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 come along or just go and visit them, go and sit and have a cup of tea with them and just check on them and 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 just say, tell them that that you know you're listening to them. You know I think they're it's the best thing that you can ever say to somebody is I hear you, mm. I'm here, I'm listening to you, I'm giving you my full attention. You're worthy and and those sort of emotions come out and whichever way the person says it that will resonate with the other is is a very important step to help and just sort of saying look talk to me about what's happening with you or I've noticed that you know you I haven't seen you around lately and and you know do you want I just want to have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee with you mm. and then hopefully if you just say look you know is there anything that's it's worrying you or, you know, is there anything that's happening with you? Do you need help with anything? You know, and the whole community support system is there for that. You know, we've got meals on wheels and we've got people who come into your home for respite and all of those things. But we have to get the people to the services, right? And the way that we do that is either through family, friends, other people that we see at the local club. And it's just actually about caring. And I think for me, I get quite saddened by as a as a suicide researcher yes i live 
with you know reading difficult documents but mm. i get quite saddened when i see somebody on the news who has been dead for two weeks and nobody mm. even noticed and mm. the, and i just think what was happening with that person that there was two weeks that went by and nobody even missed that person no one even mm. checked in with that person so Let's not live with regret. Let's just go and go, I'm just going to make the call. I'm just going to knock on the door, see how they're going mm. and and just ask, you know, have a chat with another human, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then encourage them to say, or even if you know that person and you think that that hasn't worked, then if you know the family, if you know their son or daughter or, or the neighbor or, you know, whatever, just keep keep trying to help them. And yeah, so if you think obviously that the person is extremely depressed mm. and isn't responsive or and you're charged with looking after them and you're the only person that's seen them, like as a health worker or mm. as a neighbor, I would probably suggest that you, know, you could just sort of say, who's your doctor? Let's give them a ring. Let's get you in to see the GP. Or mm. if they're really extremely depressed, suicidal, then you call an ambulance. Yeah. And then you go from there, but um, you call Lifeline. You can make, yeah, make several different phone calls to different people to get you some support mm. around that. So yeah, yeah, suicide assist and yeah. That's the thing that people services. I don't think realise that you can call Lifeline if you're worried about someone. Like you don't have to be suicidal yourself. You can call them and ask for advice and say. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, of course, and then they would possibly then want to talk to the person mm. and then they could then help. So that's one thing that you can do. Um, yeah, I think that that's certainly something extremely important around that because we have to make sure that we are looking after our people next door, you know. We, mm. we have That's one thing they've noticed when we sort of went, all of us went online. Um, neighbourhood watch disappeared and crime increased. And if we now we're looking at being home a lot more, we've sort of started to notice our own communities a lot more and look after our people. And, I mean, there's that ad on TV where the – what is it? Is it for um, – I don't know, I think it's for Google Translate or something where the girl goes and buys yep. the neighbor, the elderly yep. neighbor. Um, I can't even remember this, what it's for, but um, she buys her something okay. and it translates for her in the bean paste yeah. and then she goes to the chemist for her and then all of that sort of stuff and then she drops it home and you, first of all, you think it's all for her and yeah. then she drops it to her elderly neighbor and I think, ah, oh, that's nice, yeah. you know? Mm. And, that, and you got me talking, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can hear the song in my head, <laughs> and you're right. I can't oh, remember yeah, what the ad yeah, was no. for. I, no, I can actually hear. Yeah, I won't sing because I don't know what this is about. I joke all the time, or not joke, but I talk all the time. When I when I was 15, I had a I delivered medicines for my local chemist, and on my push bike, just riding around my neighbourhood. And I used to get in trouble all the time. You find this hard to believe, I know, but I've always been a talker. Um, and, <laughs> and, I, and it was interesting because a couple of the old ladies that I used to deliver to were, were my grandmother's friends. They they knew me through her. Um, and, you know, I, I've just always been a sort of a, a polite kind of respectful person where I'll engage in that conversation regardless of whether I want to be there or not. Um, but I, I'd often find myself you know spending 15 20 minutes talking to these people at their door and i'd come back and the person that worked in the shop would go oh, you know you took so long why do you take so long 
I'm like, I, I can't get away from these people. They just want to talk to me all the time. And as I've mm-hmm. reflected on that, as I've gotten older, as I've reflected on that, I thought, yeah, I was probably the only person they saw that week. You know, mm. I was probably the only other human face that they saw. And it, and it kind of would make, you know, made me a bit sad that I think, you know, here's these people that the only person they've got to connect with is this 15-year-old kid delivering their medicines. It's the only one that they're seeing, you know. Mm. And, and I'd certainly say to you for certain that there were women, a um, lot more women than men, but there were women in that group. And I'm, I'm thinking of one lady in particular who I'm certain is absolutely long gone now. Um, but I, I'd spend at least 20 minutes with her every time and she'd sure. offer me a, you know, a, always have a can of lemonade for me and offer me a biscuit or whatever. Um, lovely old lady, but just wanted to talk to me. And and not, you know, I was 15, I had no idea about mental health or any of this stuff that we're talking about, so I never, ever thought about any of those things. But I just stopped and talked to them. And now I kind of look <laughs> back and I think, I actually feel good about myself because, you know, I probably did nothing really other than at least that once a week they had someone to chat to that wasn't their cat <laughs> or whoever. Yeah, I think you underestimate the importance that you probably had in their life and, yeah. and they would have looked forward to that. No, whatever day you delivered, Tuesday morning, I'm going to get my medication delivering. That nice young boy's going to be yeah. here and give them gave them a reason to get out of bed in the morning, you know? Yeah. And I think that, that that's what I guess people often do and – and the more I speak to older adults, the more I I realize, um, you know, how much wisdom they have and mm. how much more life they have to live and mm. how undervalued they are in society. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, you just go, oh, you know, what, what so-and-so used to come once a week and it was the most amazing thing and mm. and that was and but then they'd say yeah but then then they stopped coming and then this happened and that happened and then I didn't get out of bed in the morning and mm. I guess that's what we have to be careful of bringing it into more a contemporary conversation is we think about COVID mm. and what's happening with people and service providers are trying desperately community service providers are trying desperately hard to get out there to visit people but they may or may not be able to for certain reasons and they're locked in their own homes and all of those things. So um, that's where online services like Red Cross, Teleconnect is really great where you can organise for uh, a person to get a phone call every day through Red Cross. You've heard of Red Cross? I think it's called Telecross. Yeah, and then they can get a phone call every day and then if they don't answer, then, you know, the families then contacted and all of those fantastic things and meals on wheels and all of those wonderful community support programs. And you know, I can't um, ever sort of overestimate how amazing they are yeah. and, um, and, and what a fabulous support network that is. But there are many people who are not aware of these. So the more people that can talk about it, the more people that are made aware of, of what happens and the supports there are then, the healthier everyone becomes, right? Yeah. Well, 100%. And I, I know my organisation that I work for, I don't mention them on air because I try and keep the two things separate, but I know that we do some, um, some on, they call it a cuppa and a catch-up. You know, we do some online mm. stuff as well. And I participated in it actually in that on Friday. And it was fantastic. Mm. It was really good. They did a, you know, a bit of a laugh, a bit of a joke around. We did, um, you know, one of those sort of icebreakery type exercises where... They asked if, if how, which animal would describe your current mood, 
<laughs> yeah, that was an interesting. I had never actually ever thought of that. I, I decided I was a bear though because we're basically in hibernation, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and I probably eat too much. Um, Bears don't eat in hibernation. Well, I know they. So it has to be pre-hibernation. I know. Well, maybe I'm pre-hibernating. Well, you may want to also look up just for your own benefit. What else you need to do to prepare your body as a bear before you go into hibernation, which perhaps we won't discuss on the air. So that's just something, some little joyful tip for Adam to do in your spare time. Oh, uh, and then you perhaps won't be a bear in hibernation. You'll choose not to do that. Wow. Okay. I'm going to write this down. Google, what do bears do to prepare for hibernation? Yeah, you guys could all do that. Whoever else is listening, and you'll be like, Adam said he was going to be like this. This is funny. <laughs> oh, I feel like it's bad. I feel like it's oh, really it's, bad. It's interesting, let's say that. And if you were a bear, you'd probably be happy, but perhaps humans, no. I don't think that's going to work for you. Um, yeah. Trust me, I haven't done it, and I'm not going to. So there's a little bit of uh, exciting I want for people. Uh, well, it'll be a test of how many people actually listen through the whole podcast because then people get messages going, bears do what? Yep, that's your litmus lit, litmus test right there. There you go. Who are these people? <laughs> oh, goodness me. I really That's a wanted... trivia question right there waiting to happen. You know that, don't you? Well, that was the other thing we did was trivia. But we did mm. we did obscure trivia. We did like they did like strange trivia. You know, it's illegal <laughs> to do what at this time in certain places and things like that. Um, that is strange. Yeah, and um, I did find out that the male snake has two penises. I didn't know that. Um, that oh, that's interesting. interesting. Mm, it was. And did you know snakes can't go backwards? So that's also interesting. Yeah. Ooh, and they can't go. reverse. There you go. Handy little interesting, insignificant facts about snakes. But it's a very interesting fact if you have a brown snake under your house, which I did, mm-hmm. and um, and then that's what they told me, put nets over your – and we're not going to talk about snake prevention on your show. But anyway, I d- <laughs> long story short <laughs> – Lots of information later. Snakes can't reverse. Okay. There you go. Keep in mind. We won't. We'll talk about that another time, Adam. So you talked about um, transition points, and, and we mm. discussed the other day, and you said something to me the other day, and this one chimed in with me as well, because certainly know people that have experienced this as well, which is the um, you said the, the, the line was, you know, the fantasy of retirement versus the reality mm. of retirement. Mm. What 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 came up for you when you were sort of looking at that? Yes, well, a lot of people, they, they'd had this thing and it was interesting about, I, I mean, I have a personal, and I don't want to be sued by any cruising companies right now when I say this, let's put that out before just I mention Just don't this. name them. <laughs> I'm not naming any okay. companies. I don't like the idea of cruising. That's just a personal opinion, right? Yeah, cool. I'm not here to influence anybody about that, but that to me, um, because probably because I don't have very good experiences on boats. I get nausea. That's pretty much the main standard reason why I wouldn't go on a cruise. But there became this thing in the research where people were being compared to others. Um, so one main thing, backing, backtracking a little, people thought that when they were going to retire, maybe five, ten years before they retired, they thought that they were going to have lots of money, they would be able to do whatever they wanted, they would could travel, they could go on a cruise like their other friends who have retired, travel mm. the world. That mm. sounded so exciting to them. Not to all, but a lot of people, that's what they wanted to do. So 
then they thought they could do their hobby and then they could um, meet, look after women particularly said they could spend more time with their grandchildren and mm. men said they could spend more time with their friends or going out, doing their own thing, being on their own or mm. going to a men's shed. All of those things is what they were aspiring towards. And then I said to them, how, how different was um, the fantasy versus the reality of retirement? And the main things that they talked about were they said um, that their health deteriorated very quickly after they retired. And even even they had pre-existing health conditions that they thought would just improve after retirement because they weren't working anymore. Mm-hmm. So they their health overall had started to deteriorate, some more dramatically than others. Um, their finances were not in as... Um, were not as tight as what they thought that they would be. Mm. And particularly when we looked at the women who had become single or the men who had become single after retirement, there were a number of marriage separations at retirement and then people leaving people for lots of different reasons. But that had a marked impact on their finance because they went from being a couple to being a single person. Mm. So therefore their their ability to sustain themselves financially dropped markedly. Mm. And then they also had... uh, they didn't understand how to plan for their day. They were like, oh, my goodness, like working itself, we know when we go to work, there are a lot of environmental stimulants, right? Mm. So there's there's obviously other people coming to work at the same time. Mm. If you work with another colleague and, you know, you get along quite well, another person will walk in the room and you'll be like, oh, we better go to work. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we better knuckle down type of thing. Uh, or there's a break. There's a, you know, 12 o'clock, let's have lunch. There's mm. a lot of environmental stimulants that help us with progressing through a normal work day, right? Mm. Um, we have holidays we plan holidays quite well, right? Very rarely, even if people say, I'm going to go and do nothing, they'll probably end up with a plan at some stage or another yeah. or else they'll think I'm wasting my holidays. So that's the other thing people had a lot of trouble doing, particularly the men. The women actually didn't complain or didn't say they felt, not that it complains the wrong word, but they were saying things like, I, don't, I, I feel the need to plan for my day. I think that actually has started to help me, but I mucked around for about two years after retirement that was their term not mine Mm. um fluffed around didn't do anything (laughs) just started to go into retirement mode and i i didn't do anything for about two years and i thought well i'm wasting my time or i don't want to end up with that like that person down the road that sits on the lounge all day and doesn't do anything and Mm. i think that person's got depression i don't end up like with that person Mm. so they started to then compare themselves to others so they found um they needed to plan for the day, but only pretty much after they'd sort of realised what was happening for them. A lot of them had a level of self-awareness that they it took a while for some more than others, a bit longer, to actually have that level of self-awareness as to what am I doing? I'm retired now. Mm. It's, it's not like it was at work and I miss my friends. They noticed that they had only made a lot of friends through work, work colleagues, who they just had lost touch with because they then what they were finding was even if they reconnected with their work friends after retirement, the work friends were all talking about work stuff. Mm. And then the retired person 
didn't really have anything in common with them anymore. They did it a couple of times, but then they sort of started to break away from the group. So only until they then connected with a community community centre, such as like a a men's shed or a women's Mm. shed or a a club, golfing, like increase their sporting activity or any type of sort of social group, that's when they started to improve at that point. But yeah, there were there were those sort of quite different. Uh, the reality of retirement was very different to the to the fantasy of retirement, particularly with men and women if they were still married and one had retired before the other one. Mm-hmm. One had already gone through the journey of everything that I've just mentioned, mm-hmm. and then they were possibly quite well established. If you've got most couples, one husband is older than the wife, the husband would have traditionally when we have people, women, who have retired at 60 and men were retiring at 65, we now know those age groups are changing, right? Most Mm. people would be about 68, 70, probably 70 by the time they age, and men and women the same. But Mm. when we're looking at people now, the men usually retire before the women, so therefore they're going through that transition at a different stage and that causes conflict in itself. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm thinking of I've got three or four people groups of people that I know in my life that I'm as you're talking about this I'm going oh that's that person that's it you know I can I can mm-hmm. see those people in my head I, I know who they are and mm. um, I guess probably for the, the you know to respect their privacy I won't mention any of them by name but I, I certainly see those things that you talk about and and I guess um, again you know to not to make it a COVID episode but there, I think we probably mm-hmm. see similar parallels in COVID as well where you know, I'm working at home and, and we start to then loosen the structures a little bit or oh, it's going to be great to be home with the kids but then you go, well, hang on, that's actually really relentless. It's the same thing every single day. It's, you know, mm. consistent and constant. Um, in terms of, so I guess to, to kind of, I, I love what you said and I guess for people that are looking at retirement, mm. wh- what's before you do it, <laughs> before you make the jump, <laughs> What, 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 aside from financial planning, which we've already established that I need to look into immediately. You do. Um, and I don't work for a financial planning company, anybody, no, so that's not why neither I do, do I. it. Yep. And, and mm. then also, just for the record, I love cruising, so I'm... Oh, you do I, love cruising? Good. I, yeah, no, I do. Well, it's funny that you said it when you said it, because um, <laughs> my mum retired, and, you know, she's not a wealthy woman, but she has set herself up in such a way that she will be able to you know, would have been able to probably go on a, a cruise once a year. You know, nothing mm. extravagant, nothing, you know, mm. no, no round-the-world trips, but, you know, just to, to, to keep herself, you know, give herself something to, to look forward to. Um, and, of yeah. course, the, you know, cruise industry has shut down <laughs> for the last 18 months. Um, well, sad, sadly for many, yes, it has, yeah. and yeah. that's tricky. But I think, look, I, what it is, if we look at it uh, from an overarching perspective, it's a goal, right? It's yeah. a goal that people want to, they aspire to have, whether it's a holiday on a cruise or a plane or an outback adventure or a caravan. We've got grey nomads. Like, mm. that's that's the term that they're given. Mm. I don't think that older people who are travelling around the country necessarily like that term, but they've been given that term. Yeah. and we have one of the largest group of retirees traveling around the country, not now, right? Mm. But normally <laughs> speaking, that was the demographic, right? The tourism industry was full of people who were over 55. So yeah. 
it's a thing that we want to it doesn't matter what goal it is it's about being goal oriented and i guess that's the that's what the participants did say to me i am by no means a retirement expert mm. but i think the voices of the participants speak louder than anything else and they gave us three things um and they talked about a planned approach to retirement and and as i said i asked them what what advice would you give younger people who are retiring or who are like even if they're say 30 years of age yeah. and they're like well you know what you have to really have a look at um what's happening for your physical and psychological health pre-retirement so let's not wait till we're 55 and then decide we're on the downward spiral we can't work anymore mm. and that was their words not mine but no for me noticing that the health uh, the the effects of aging are coming in increased arthritis you know lack of movement all of those yeah. possible things that can happen <laughs> but don't wait for that so this they were saying talk to people when they're like 30 35 years of age and have a get them to have a look at their physical and psychological well-being together and make changes make yep. some proactive health choices improve your level of health literacy how do you manage your physical and psychological health now mm -hmm. because you're only you, you can only get better right like if you <laughs> if you're yeah. able to do it now and um yeah. and people we we know that we're sort of not generally speaking males are not as good and proactive with looking after the health as women that's a mm. common common knowledge people mm. are very obvious about that but talk about um a supported transition step to retirement and yep. reducing your hours and thinking about so the people that i spoke with and the, the other researchers that have done work on this as well before myself and after me have talk to people and they said just don't go cold turkey try to avoid going from full-time directly to retirement mm. and i think that the ne the netherlands and people in holland do this really well what they actually do is when a person turns 60 regardless of their gender the manager will sit down with them and say right it's your 60th birthday happy birthday you're going down to four days a week and then the government actually supplements their Right. the fifth day yeah. and then when they're 61 they go to three days government supplements two and so on and so on until yeah. they're actually like 64 years of age they're working one day a week and they've also been encouraged to increase their social activities increase spending time with their grandchildren and or their or their their children yeah. or their loved ones or their do a hobby and and they're also supported with psychosocial networking as well and um and so by the time they retire it's a small step off a platform rather than a larger step into a, an unknown pool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. thinking about that and um, there are companies in Australia that are doing that and um, there are uh, people, large corporations are actually doing that extremely well. And there are many examples of those and we, and they sort of said that let's, let's try and do that step supported transition. And I think that, um, employees or employers are are starting to look at that now but that's still in its early infancy but a planned supported approach to retirement from the employer's perspective mm -hmm. would be great and this is what the people in the study said um, continued connectedness as well forming yeah. of new identities that was a pretty strong theme that came out in the research is mm -hmm. you're no longer a working person but mm -hmm males identified very strongly particularly older males with the career that they'd had for a number of years mm -hmm. 
and we know people in younger generations will probably have maybe 10 different types of jobs by the time they've retired, whereas mm. older adults may have had two or three or maybe three or four different types. So it is a little different in per generation. But they talked about forming a new identity of self mm. and what does that look like. Do that preferably before you retire. And then... Um, there were there were increased feelings of connectedness and reduce a sense of um, of lost connection. So if you started to feel those feelings of um, lost connections from the workplace, then try to seek out other connections in the community, mm. even if it's connecting with neighbours or friends that you haven't connected with for a long time. That was important. And the other thing was increased support from family and friends in the pre and post retirement period. They were really important key mm. areas as well um, that that were suggestions from participants in the study. And all of these people, we had the number of people in the study, 80% of them had experienced suicidal behaviours, but 20 of them had not. So when I say suicidal behaviours, I say... I mean, either that person themselves had experienced suicidal ideation, mm. attempted to take their life, mm. or they were the loved one of somebody who had taken their life. Oh, wow. So those that was my, the cohort of the people that I interviewed. So yeah. they had very solid lived experience of suicide, either from their own perspective with their experience of suicidal behaviours or they'd lived with someone who had actually taken their own their life. Mm. So it was words of experience coming through thick and fast there, not my experience, their own words of experience, I think are really important to listen to. Yeah, and I think, um, I think the fact that these things came out, as you say, in the data and, mm. and in the research actually really lends some incredible credibility to that, that, you know, this is not just us sitting going oh we think this is how it looks this is <laughs> the result of a proper yes. doctoral thesis this is a result of proper research and people actually confirming yeah. that yeah 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 so one the other things that they talked about too were lack of choice they noticed that they started to have a lack of choice if they hadn't planned well for retirement as well hence the discussion around needing to plan for the day that was a that was a, a a protective factor for people mm. and then finding their own choice being able to make choices was a really important factor for protection for people for physical and psychological well-being yeah. improved finances as well um was very important for people also having a look at the other thing that came out too now i think of it were you know like like you and i talked at the beginning of the interview about you oh maybe I'll need to talk to somebody about my superannuation or mm. start increasing my contributions. Whereas people don't even understand what that looks like when they retire. They don't. Mm. They know that there's this little pool of money sitting inside a superannuation mm. fund. Or for some of us, you know, some people have like six or seven different supers because mm. they haven't consolidated their super. I think the government's looking at changing that ruling, but. Um, there are a lot of people with multiple super accounts and people were saying to me, I didn't even know what to do when I retired. Like, do I contact the super company? Do they mm. contact me? That lack of financial literacy was extremely um, obvious to me that they hadn't even thought about it. And most people don't think about what happens on the day of my retirement. No. Do I then ring the company and say, I think I've got super with you? Yeah. <laughs> so they, they felt that that level of inadequacy was um, – 
was something that they really should have uh, people in the future retiring should be more aware of that they hadn't even thought about that and if you made redundant fired for whatever reason you've become retired pretty quickly and you didn't have that opportunity to plan so yeah they say in the future plan plan early save as much as you can look after your health and look after others and see if your job if your employer can has some sort of a retirement transition program as well that's beneficial to you i might start doing that now (laughs) even even possibly like eap providers yeah i mean i know we have we there's a very under um valued resource for all employees the eap providers but perhaps talk to them if you're experiencing You know issues around. Oh, I think I'm. I, I I think I may be. I may have. I've just been diagnosed with osteoporosis. And people get diagnosed mm. very early, you mm. know. Or I have rheumatoid arthritis, <laughs> or I'm just recovering from cancer, like you were discussing with me earlier. Mm. Um, you know, I may not be able to work as full time. How do I manage that with my finances? You know, and just talk to the EAP provider and yeah. have discussions with financial planners. All of those things. A yeah. lot of organizations do it for free so and it's probably really good advice for like hr people in organizations if anyone's in that kind of realm you know to to start thinking Mm. about doing that with your with your employees and having those discussions exactly exactly i think that there's a lot of improvement that the australian um employers can do there are some really great ones and there are some not so great ones Mm. so it's something that we could all be aware of and we can ask people what are we going to how can you you support me as Mm. a as my employer you know is there anything you can offer and and just maybe that could then start a groundswell for people to think hr for example Mm. Who do I talk to? Oh, well, I know this really good financial planner and let's see if they're free and go and speak to that person. Yeah, yeah so sort of pushing upwards as well is also a way around that. Yeah. Yeah. Before we go, because mm. we're, we're nearly at an hour. Time flies when oh, you're goodness. fun. Oh, goodness. I know. Okay. Who would have known that you and I would have been able to fill up an hour of space with so much worth? Well, I knew you would, <laughs> but, you know, question my own contribution to the whole thing um before you go and i feel like i might know the answer to this but for a person who's aging for a person who is you know as you say going through those transition points perhaps either in that you know retirement realm or has lost a partner and is in that sort of i'm alone i'm 70s 80s kind of what do i do what Mm. what's your go-to what what do we sort of what do we say to people to to help them to manage their own mental health? What do we say to people to to help them support their own good mental health? Is there and it so doesn't I, have to be one thing; it can be a few things. Yes, yeah. And look, I think the number one thing is if if you yourself are noticing that you're um, not as happy as you were before, like it's a difficult thing to quantify, but Mm. if you're noticing you've lost a, uh, it's like an intrinsic drive, a Mm. reason you're ikigai, you know, the Japanese are very good at, um, at, at, at reasons to, to give us wonderful meanings for things. And ikigai is a reason, what's our intrinsic motivator? Why do we get up in the morning? And we know we have blue zones all over the world. Many of them are in, blue zones are areas where people live to be over 100 and they live, they age extremely well. And they use, the Japanese use this term ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-E, I-K-I, 
G-A-I it is. Mm-hmm. It's the reason why they get up in the morning. So find what your ikigai is. If it's, if it's spending time with your children, if it's spending time with your neighbor, if it's going to see your golf golfing friends, mm-hmm. if it's whatever it is, if it's cooking, you just find what your reason for life is and try to activate that. And if you're having trouble with doing that, go and talk to a doctor, a, just a normal GP. I'm not talking about a psychiatrist mm-hmm. or a psychologist, but go and have a talk to them about how you're feeling. Even if, like I love 20 Seconds of Insane Courage. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the movie? We Bought a Zoo. We Bought a Zoo, right? Yep. That's one of my favorite things in the whole world. Yep. If in my life I've been too frightened to do something, I'm like Kylie. 20 Seconds of Insane Courage and you're going to be there in the middle of doing that thing, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. and so I've, when I had to present to large crowds or whatever, I, and I have overcome my fear of speaking in public now, but many years ago, 20 Seconds of Insane Courage, just mm-hmm. do it. So go and make the call ring up, make the appointment. I just want to see, I just want to have a talk to the doctor about a few things. You don't have to tell the receptionist what you're talking to the doctor about. Go and talk to them about it and just say whatever you feel the need to talk about. Even if it's if you talk about your sore left toe first and then you bring in the discussion about how you're not feeling quite yourself, Mm -hmm. just do it for your own self. Or if you can see someone in your family that's like that, offer to go with them. Let's go and talk to the doctor about that. And, I mean, there are phone numbers that you can ring as well. Obviously, Lifeline, um, there's many, many numbers that you can mm. do. But talk about talk about it to a mental health professional. Talk about it to a GP. And all they can do is say, you know, perhaps it's not depression. Perhaps it's it's this or perhaps it's mm. that. Or, you know, it's just, just go and have a talk. That's what I would suggest. Um, depression is not a normal sign of aging. But there are people who have depression or may have lived with depression all their life and may just need to have a medication review, either increase or decrease of dose or change meds. Like I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I don't pretend to be. So, Or even you may have early signs of memory loss, for Mm. example, as well. And there are many memory loss clinics out there also. So those other comorbidities, those other things that could be going on with your health could be triggering feelings of anger feelings of sadness you're not understanding why you've lost hearing that's also why your vision's deteriorating and that absolutely can make a change to your mental health so yeah if we could possibly just um possibly just ask ask people to just ask questions can you help can you help me and if it sounds like your mum and dad or whoever that that older person in your life that you love encourage them to do that and, and as you said support them to do that and brothers and sisters like we yeah. could possibly have um you know people who are living in the community who are listening to your your podcast that are 70 years 80 years 90 100 mm. years of age mm. who have a sibling that they're concerned about mm. or a son or a daughter that they're concerned about we're not um it can go both ways. Like if you're a mum and, and and you've got a, a, an adult child who's experiencing, you're concerned about their mental health or their physical health, talk to them about it as well. Like it's not just a one-way street. Does that make sense, Adam? Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Love yeah. It. But I think your podcast is doing great things and I admire what you've done and I and, and I'm really happy to have been able to impart some small amount of my 
knowledge. Um, not that not that came out incorrectly, but <laughs> my small amount of knowledge into your show that I'm sure uh, will hopefully trigger off some conversations for then people to do their own research with other experts um, that have got a lot more knowledge than what I have, and just to help each other. I think it would be great and. My final note would probably be to suggest that people have a look at gatekeeper training. Gatekeepers are people in the community that look out for others. And I've got a Wesley Life Force Suicide Prevention Training that also they do free suicide prevention training. And then there's also the QPR, which is the Question, Persuade and Refer Training through Every Mind. That's also free as well. So if people are interested in finding out more, do some more research, talk to doctor, you know, if you don't want to go online all the time. But there's a lot of resources out there to help people. But if we can just get people to ask the question themselves, what's happening with me, that's definitely a start, right? Absolutely. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's a perfect spot to leave on them. Thank you, Dr. Yes. Kylie. Thank you so much, <laughs> Miss. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mr. Holstein. It's been a joy. It's <laughs> always a, a pleasure. <laughs> I've got to look that up, and and I hope to see some pretty good responses yes. on your Facebook. We, we have to look up. We have to look up the bears. You do. You got to. What does a bear need to do to prepare for hibernation? And you'll never get that thought out of your mind. <laughs> I, I feel like we should leave it there. I'm at a press pause. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, folks. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of our podcast. Uh, before I go, could I please ask uh, just a couple of small favours? Number one, uh, we would very much, as we said at the start, love for you to review this podcast. And, of course, please share this podcast. Um, the reviews help us to uh, help other people to see what this podcast is about. And, of course, the sharing helps us to get our message out there. We don't have any money, so we're really relying on uh, social media to be able to spread this message. Uh, equally, if you listen to this podcast, now we do a warning at the start, but if you listen to this podcast and anything uh, triggered for you or it made you think about your own mental health or well-being or someone who you loves mental health or well-being, please uh, take steps to help to either manage that yourself or to support someone to manage their mental health. Uh, if you do feel like you are need to talk to somebody, uh, and you can't talk to friends or family, please go and see your GP. Or, of course, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 Men's Line Australia on 1300 789978. Lifeline on 13 11 14. Or, of course, the Kids Helpline on 1800 551800. If you or someone that you love is in immediate danger, please call triple O. Uh, but at the very least, please um, find a way to manage your mental health and your mental health conditions. And please support the people that you love to manage their mental health and mental health conditions. And again, if something you've heard today triggers for you, please go and seek um, some support uh, immediately to manage your mental health condition, whether that's one of the helplines we just mentioned or the GP. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.